All right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, on three. All right. All right. One, two, three. three. Wait. Oh. Was it? What I the thought hell? you said it was Sorry, on, I said three. on three. You did, you did it on four. I just say on three. I meant after three. I meant on four. Yeah, sorry was about that, that. That's that was my fault. Was that scripted? Did you do that on purpose? I feel Absolutely like this. Not. You have a. Are you building a model? Are, yeah. Are you, are you doing uh, gum? What is it called? Gumpla? Gundam? Gumpla. Where are you building a Gundam? Yeah. Figure? <laughs> <laughs> is that what it sounds like? Kind of. <laughs> a Gumpla. I I I. Uh, that's like a. That's what that's I, what Gundams eat for uh, lunch. Like I really that, only uh, do Beyblades. Uh, mm, I'm more of a yeah. Hot Wheels guy. <laughs> this guy. I'm more of a, a hot guy. <laughs> let's clap <laughs> fucking one more. Let's clap nice. one more time. All right. On, uh, on four. On then. four. Yeah. So when so you say, say four, as you're saying four, we clap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. One, two, three. Cool. All right. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Beautiful. It's probably so, the most beautiful thing I've seen. All right. I'm going to intro us. Um, I I, st- I haven't made a new intro for us, so I'm just going to have to use the one that we already have. <laughs> okay. Can we um, can we talk about the name? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's got to be an executive decision about that. Um. Uh, all right. Let's get started. Let's get started. Um. We'll just go here. For hey, now. wait. You're listening to. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Okay. All right. Let's punch stuff in. Your listening to as many times. The Potophiles. From no. W and Denver. That's like, it's here to stay. It's here to stay until we have a better name. All right. That's not how this works. That's you don't just you don't just suddenly change the name after like things get ingrained. What if what if you just inserted the beep? The beep over like the name. (laughs) (laughs) I could, but what are we going to be like unnamed? We're going to have some placeholder, you know. Mars, we've been recording for like five months. (laughs) Don't say that out loud. Javi has brought like that's like some degree of stability and guidance. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's so. So my contribution to the stability and guidance is a temporary name, which I know that we won't keep. That, but you know, that's holding things together right now, which this is Potophiles. <laughs> it's gonna be like like a couple years from now, we're still gonna be like we can't call this thing Potophiles. <laughs> we'll be well, on like, look, like once episode, we decide like, on a new name, I'll, right. I'll write a new, uh, uh, I'll, I'll write a new intro song, and we can move on from this. Part of our lives. To be honest, I've I've been wanting to look up if there's already a podcast or if it's actually a word, but I just don't want to put that in my Google search. Because like an audiophile is is like someone who likes music, yeah, an affinity for sounds, right? Yeah, right. And a podophile is somebody who has an affinity for dialogue it, and it's, conversation. It's very and- similar to another word, Mars. It's what very word? similar to another word. Popular? I'm going to just... Penultimate pop personification, persecution. There's a lot of words that start with P and Nick. Um, but look, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us on from this. Okay. We, we can... We can uh, we'll revisit you know, it. 
we'll revisit it and hopefully have something you know new by the next uh, episode um or maybe we won't and that's okay because at least we have a name you know so i've got a little segment here and um i oh it's going to be a bit bleak maybe maybe it won't be but we'll start off here all right so i want you to uh imagine that you are in tucson in the middle of summer all right um so it, it's 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 a sunday morning it's hot as shit and you're hungover um you're tired things feel a bit pointless but you know what it's time to wake up so you get out of bed you stretch and you yawn and you close your laptop which has been playing the theme song to stranger things on loop since you fell asleep last night because that's your uh absolute favorite show you fucking love that show um so what you know so so you get up and what what's it wear you know it's too 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 hot to wear your old school vans originally released in 1977 but revived by a company by the company in recent decades so instead you know you slip on a a pair of birkenstocks which was originally a sandal associated with hippies in the 70s but was resurrected as high fashion in the 90s and early 2000s um cloudy headed and sweating you just want to be you know surrounded by ac and who's got the best ac in town that's right it's the theaters. And you know what's playing at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday? The new Space Jam remake. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. So Which movie is like, uh, Probably Alcon. Is that oh, still yeah. around? Yeah, it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to Alcon. That is the good one, right? That is the good one. It's pretty good, I think. And it's close to In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. You know? And... Uh, couple other things um but yeah sweet so you're you're you know you're absolutely stoked uh and you're driving now um you you uh, you turn on the radio and are surprised to hear avril lavigne oh wait no that must be paramore uh the song ends and the radio host informs you that in fact it was actually olivia rodrigo's new hit single good for you uh next up is some michael jackson rune 5 nsync mashup (laughs) that you guess would qualify as being like objectively good in the standard way that pop songs are nowadays. Um, the radio host announces that it's actually the new hit single, uh, Butter, from the early 2000s K-pop boy band BLT. Um, and that one might get us canceled. <laughs> it's it's um, B- BTS. <laughs> this makes you hungry. Um, so, so you swing by Burger King to grab some breakfast. Uh, Pulling up, you notice that they've rebranded. Their logo is the same as it was in the 1980s. Uh, you order your, your, you know, your dumb hash brown thing and you go sit in the corner. Um, and that's when it hits you. This is the same corner you were sitting in that one time that one of your exes told you they loved you, like nine years ago. And there it is, that bittersweet hang, that sweet, sad, paradoxical longing that expands further away from you the closer it gets. Kiss me. By sixpence, none the richer comes on the radio in the background, and you start to cry. You sad, sad, lonely thing. That's right, folks. Today I'm talking about nostalgia. Nostalgia. Hey. Nostalgia. Hey. Mar- yeah. Mars, did you mean Woo. to call them BLT? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <Just checking. laughs> What's the right answer here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that might get us canceled. Um. 
No, we'll, those we'll those fans are vicious. That I yeah. I, I think we should I was, tread lightly. If we're I was a bit concerned about that one. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah. I think you know we're gonna have like what five people that listen to this, but yeah, if we ever make it big, you know, someday we're probably gonna have to cut back in and just bleep that out. Mm. <laughs> um. So yeah, nostalgia. Everybody loves nostalgia. So specifically, uh, cultural nostalgia. So I'm thinking of, um, I want to talk about America's obsession with its own immediate past, the sort of in this remakes, the revivals, the reissues, um, you know, the re permutations, these things that, that kind of span cultural genres from music to film and fashion and so on. Um, and I guess I want to start by giving some more concrete examples of what I mean by culture nostalgia. I think everyone kind of knows what this is, but um, I I guess I feel like I I want to kind of establish what I mean by it. And I ultimately, like, by the end of this segment, like, like the, you know, why I kind of was, like, reading about this is because I kind of want to understand why it feels like we've hit a, a, a cultural um, uh, plateau and why it feels like nothing new is being created. Um, or at least nothing new that's, like, like genre-defining and which feels like it has any real staying power. Um, because in, you know, as, as a 29 year old millennial, like it seems like the defining mood of, of most of the time that I've been alive has just been nostalgic. Um, the kind of cultural world that I know is like, you know, pastiche and revivalism and fracturing and mixing and sampling of already existing stuff. Um, and there've been times that I felt, you know, nostalgic for past that I never even experienced, like listening to the Smiths feeling like I'm remembering like post-rock 80s or something kind of like you know i've got this like buggy like memory implants like total recall or something like inserted in my mind um in any case a lot of so a lot of what i'm going to like talk about is kind of inspired by and taken almost directly from uh simon reynolds book uh retromania um which is uh highly recommend um yeah, and so I guess as a starting point, in the book, he, he poses the question, um, is nostalgia stopping our culture's ability to search forward, or are we nostalgic precisely because our culture has stopped moving forward, and so we inevitably look back to more kind of momentous and dynamic times? Um, and when I read that question, I thought to myself, uh, oh, that's, that's a question I'm completely unqualified to answer. Um, so I decided I would do this little segment on it. Um, uh, so I'm going to share a link uh, in the chat. Um, well, of you, Nick, will you uh, open that up? So I'm going to start off with 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 film. Uh, there it is. There it is. It's All right. loading. And All right. highest grossing films. Oh, great. So I want to start off with films because I feel like you know, I mean, I don't want this to just be me listing off things that are nostalgic, but I feel like I want to kind of start with that. I feel like the most obvious examples of nostalgia and culture are in the film industry. So um, I've made a list here, just taken. Uh, yeah, I made a list of the highest grossing films, at least in the, like the past decade. Um, Nick, do you want to tell us what the highest grossing films are for, for 2019? Yeah, so 2019, we have Avengers Endgame. Um the Lion King, uh, Frozen mm. 2, all brought to us by Disney Pictures, as well as Spider-Man, Far From Home from Sony, Captain Marvel, which is another Disney property, Joker from Warner Brothers, 
Star Wars, Toy Story, Aladdin, also from Disney, and Jumanji, the <laughs> next level from Sony. Yeah. So almost all of these films, I mean, maybe all of them, I don't know about Frozen 2, um, are, and I mean, I would say either, you know, remakes or are nostalgic in the sense that they're based off of, you know, like uh, a comic book that was originally made in the whatever, 80s, 90s. I mean, I've been kind of struggling with calling the whole Marvel universe nostalgic because even though it's based off of, you know, nostalgic comics, um, it's not really a remake. It's not, it is kind of new um, in, in a way, um, but I don't know. It still it still has that kind of a, a bit of nostalgic essence to it. I feel like, but mm-hmm. films like The Lion King or you know, Joker, uh, uh, Toy Story Four, Aladdin, Jumanji, you know, it's like this. So yeah, okay. So Nick or Javi, do you want to read the next one for 2018? The highest grossing films. Yeah, sure. Oh. What do we got? So number one, Avengers: Infinity War. Number two was Black Panther, grossing at, okay, let me go back. Avengers grossed at, oh, just over $2 million. $2 billion? How many? Uh, that's $2 yeah, billion. Two, that's, yeah, that's $2 billion. Yeah. $2 billion buckaroos. Uh, let's see. Black Panther was second, um, grossing $1 billion, $1.3 billion. Jurassic World was third. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I don't know if I saw that one. 1.3 yeah. billion. Yeah. Fourth was The Incredibles 2, 1.2 billion. Yeah. You want me to read them all? Yeah. So you kind of, no, no, that's yeah. okay. I mean, mm-hmm. you got, you kind of get in the point here. Like, and there's Bohemian Rhapsody on there. There's another Mission mm-hmm. Impossible. There's, uh, before that, there's, you know, the year before that, the Star Wars, Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. you know, just all of these fucking remakes. And, you know, okay, it could be argued that this doesn't really, you know, maybe this isn't reflective of what is actually popular. Maybe these are just films that make a lot of money, but it's not actually indicative of where our culture is at. But I think that's not, I think that's not entirely true. Because when when I say nostalgic culture and I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about like mainstream culture. Um, These billboard topping things, these things that, you know, in like the 80s or 90s would have been the only accessible things that short from actually going out to movie store and or you know finding these uh vinyls in a niche you know shop or something um but i just like really quickly and they'll move on from 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 films um just to compare you know like these this uh you can go back year by year and just look at what the top grossing films are but if you compare it to like let's start off with 1990s um we've got you know almost all originals so we've got ghost home alone pretty woman uh dances with wolves total recall there's back to the future three which you know it's a third in a series but it's still you know it's not a remake there's die hard 2 um teenage mutant ninja turtles which it was based off of a comic book but but like that was made like five years earlier than that so i don't think that that's nostalgic because it's it'd be like saying like um mockingbird or what's the, the hunger games the, you know, the, it'd be like saying the Hunger Games are nostalgic because they're based mm-hmm. off of a book, which I don't think is actually a movie based off of a book, I think, isn't inherently nostalgic, maybe. Anyways, um, so you got all these originals. You go to 1995. Again, the original Toy Story, Apollo 13, Die Hard, 
with a vengeance. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, I'm also going to reveal kind of how culturally naive I am um, when talking about this stuff. Uh, Pocahontas, Batman Forever, Seven, Casper, Waterworld, Jumanji, the original. So anyways, you know, you have all these kinds of originals and it's around 2005 uh, and maybe even a little bit before that they start to see remakes. Um, so 2005, we've got King Kong um, uh, as a remake. Um, we've got, uh, what's the other one on here? Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's still a lot of originals. There's the Harry Potter. Um, there's, you know, uh, Star Wars, which I guess is is a nostalgic kind of uh that was the I revival. would call Star Wars nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the, yeah. the second set. This is the third one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, no, still got some originals on here. You got, like, Hitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. War of yeah, the, War, got, like, War of the Worlds is a remake. War of the Worlds, yeah. Yeah, 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 good point. I completely missed that. Oh, um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. All classics. Uh, all right. So yeah, so I, 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 so there's films like you know, um, I'll just kind of move on through the different genres and then and and uh, I didn't take you know a whole lot of time to look through TV shows, but you know we've got massively popular shows like like Mad Men, Stranger Things, you know, remake of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like you know I'm sure we'd probably find similar trends in TVs TV shows as we do in, in in movies. I don't know if it'd be as obvious. Um, would Game of and, Thrones count as nostalgia? I don't think so. I don't think so either, actually. I, I think an interesting thing um, with with TV is that they're less homogenous now. Um, mm. There there was like back, <clears throat> back I, I think prior to maybe like the 90s, there was huge viewerships. It would be like millions and millions of people would be watching like the X-Files. Yeah. Um, you know, to have some crazy viewership, like 9 million people watching an episode. And now it, uh, nowadays it's like maybe a million, two or 3 million people would be watching a show. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's largely chalked up to there are way more options. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that plays a huge role. Like we have, we have all these streaming platforms now, like, um, not just in, you know for TV shows, but we got like Spotify, we've got you know, Netflix, HBO. You're not no, you're not longer confined to whatever is on TV at a certain time of the day. You you can literally access anything um, mm. at any time, um, and so you can really kind of curate your own kind of experience, which kind of like leads to the question: Well, in that case, and you know, for TV and film, and I guess music too, which you know is no longer confined to the radio or to you know, your, your local record shop, like, uh, is there any more mainstream? Like has a mainstream kind of died or is that, you know, uh, what, what would be defined as, as the mainstream? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. so yeah, so let's maybe move on to, to music here. Oh, there's other, one other thing I want to mention too, about that shows, which is like, uh, the nostalgia porn VH1, I love the decade series. Did you guys mm-hmm. ever ever watch that when it was on? Oh yeah. I, I don't know if I like yeah. watched it, but I I'm, I'm aware it was like a Talking Heads thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just talking about they were just like, like wacky yeah. stuff from the previous decade or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, they 
they would just get celebrities on and it wasn't like a history thing like where they were trying to you know remember exactly how things went down it was literally just like oh yeah i remember there was this this uh this device and it was fucking the coolest or stupidest thing you know so it was like literally like nostalgia porn uh and that came out i think i think it was originally based off of a bbc series prior to that uh to its release in the u.s on vh1 um but it came out i think in the 2000s which i think is kind of interesting because i feel like it kind of aligns with you know these this this kind of end of culture phenomenon where we kind of you know things stop getting truly new things stop getting produced and and we start to focus our attention on on uh, on on remakes and re and just reevaluating and reflecting on the past. Um, so, yeah, okay. So, so music, um, yeah. So, like I keep saying, I, I don't want to list all of the artists that like are modern that I I think are intentionally or unintentionally nostalgic. Um, you know, there are okay, you know well, a few. I, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Mars. I didn't. I know. Come on in. Um, is it was it Skrillex yeah. that maybe just killed novelty? Is that what it was? <laughs> I don't I don't know if it was Skrillex per se. I but automatically like that interpretation though. Yeah. I uh, just looking I, for the I want to argue that that's the case, even if it's not the case. I feel like that's that's what it is. So actually, I. Uh, so that okay, so th- that's that brings us to an interesting point, which is that there there have been some like of these like kind of small, like novel you know movements like dubstep for instance, which I feel like is a bit unique compared to kind of other electronic you know forms, even though it's got its basis in electro you know every, uh, uh, and there's also you know like underground you know like, um you know there's there's basically been micro trends um like especially in music on the fringes like, um. Like uh, also in addition to dubstep, like drone and noise, which like itself I think has its roots in avant garde. But um, then there's like various classes of hardcores. There's underground rap, hip hop, and you know grime, this sort of thing. Um, but I think that you know outside of the communities that these 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 new genres exist in, I don't think these have been truly groundbreaking. And I I feel like the difference here is between you know novelty and genuine innovation. Um, which I don't mean to say that those artists are bad or that's like, also my, my main goal here isn't to say that art that is nostalgic or that is based off of like, you know, fractured bits of something before it is bad. Like a lot of the, the musicians and stuff I like sounds like stuff before them. That's just, you know, how it is. I, I'm more, I'm just kind of bringing this to the forefront as the phenomena of our time. Um, okay. that, that, uh, yeah, yeah. What are you going to say, Avi? I, I, well, is do you have like a working definition of of uh, nostalgia versus just like I guess it it's it, like is the is the is the Taliban coming back uh, like is that like them making it come back is that like nostalgia I've actually heard arguments like that oh really is yeah. it is is comparing yeah. the Taliban coming back after the U S pull out to like the u.s losing in saigon yeah like is that, that yeah is that nostalgia, the thing with nostalgia it, it can cross platforms it can be it can cross these different like dimensions like you can have political nostalgia like there's trump's slogan like make america great again 
Like that's, you know, nostalgia and politics can be a really powerful tool. Um, uh, and it, it, so I like, and that was a Reagan era quote. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, I didn't know that. So that makes it even like more like doubly nostalgic, I guess. Can, and Reagan was the the epicenter of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can I read you a quote real quick? Yeah, please. Um, so this is, are you, are you familiar with John Hodgman? Uh, no. So he was the, do you remember the Mac and PC commercials from like <laughs> the, I think the oh, yes. mid 2000s? I recognize. Yep, yeah. Yep. Recognize he's he's like a character actor. He's a podcaster, an author. He's kind of, yeah. kind of does it all. Um, so this is from um, John Hodgman's book, Vacation Land, True Stories from Painful Beaches. It says, normally I consider nostalgia to be a toxic impulse. Uh, it is the twinned yearning delusion that A, the past was better, it wasn't, and B, it could be replicated, it can't. That leads, mm. at best, to bad art, movies, uh, movie versions of old TV shows and sad dads watching Fox News. At worst, it leads to revisionism, extremist politics, fundamentalist terrorism, mm. and the victory in Appalachia in particular of a narcissistic Manhattan cartoon maybe – Bill, uh, millionaire and cramped up creep uh, who if he ever did get up to rocky top in real life would never come down again mm. that's great yeah <laughs> yeah like I I I feel like um, uh, th- there's a kind of I feel like to get some clarification on the definition of nostalgia maybe we could talk a bit about the history of the word yeah um, because we have kind of a general understanding of what, you know, if you tell someone I'm feeling nostalgic, we know what that means, but, um, I, I do have a little bit of a difficult time coming up with a concrete definition. I could probably just read one directly from one of these books, but, um, in, so actually, yeah. So in, in um, in the inner book, um, the future of nostalgia, um, Svetlana Boyum, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, but she writes that, uh, in the 17th century, nostalgia was considered to be a, you know, curable disease, kind of akin to the common cold. It was, the term was invented and 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 diagnosed originally by Swiss doctors, um, uh, who who diagnosed the condition in Swiss mercenaries who, themselves went on long tours of long tours of of duty and were just generally homesick. They just missed, you know, being, um, back in Switzerland. They 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 missed their home and their family, and. Um, uh, at the time, like, you know, that doctors, you know, like, which, which the fashion of, of doctors, what doctors did at this time was they would treat it with, you know, leeches, uh, with opium and with, you know, journeys to the Swiss Alps. They thought that would cure you of nostalgia, hmm. um, which all, you know, sounds really nice to me. Um, but it's interesting to note that back then, um, nostalgia was kind of a longing um, across space. Uh, rather than across time. Um, so, you know, again, quoting from 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 Simon Reynolds here, um, uh, quote, over time, nostalgia shifted from pathology to emotion. Um, and just as it shifted from being about space to being about time, um, it shifted from being curable to becoming or being incurable. And Boehm talks about the transition from medical term to poetic term during romanticism. Um, and she even talks like one of her, my favorite quotes is, uh, 
about how it's possible to be actually nostalgic for a pre-nostalgic state of being. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and and um, what was I going with this? So I mean, just the def- definition of nostalgia. I, Javi, just to go back, like this is a really long answer to your question, but I feel like uh, it 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 can transcend different genres of 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 life. It could be just personally nostalgic. Um, Svetlana Boyum, she, she classifies nostalgia in two categories. Um, one is kind of more in the political realm and one is more in the kind of personal realm. She does a much better and more detailed way of, you know, of giving that kind of definition. But I feel like, yeah, the Taliban can be nostalgic, like for the war on terror, for the Bush, the initial, you know, the early 2000s, the, the start of the war. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, kind of like on this political note, I'm kind of coming to the to the end of this this this, this segment here. But I kind of want to like talk about the the why of this. Like, why is it feel like culture has died? Why is why are we having this tendency towards an obsession with our past? Um, I'd also just kind of like the personal sh- like relationship with nostalgia. Like, just at the at the end of his book, Reynolds um, uh, ends his book with a chapter addressing a question um, which i feel like i can sympathize with which is quote given that i enjoy many aspects of the retro why do i still feel deep down that it's lame and shameful and i won't you know summarize the full chapter here but i i guess i'll just say that his answer at least to me is is um is that it's kind of like a, a modernist tendency to kind of believe that art has some kind of evolutionary destiny um, in his words, quote, a, a theology that manifests itself through genius artists and masterpiece, um, which are, you know, like monuments to the future. Um, that's end quote. And there's this, this notion of kind of constant change and endless innovation that sort of begins to fade into nostalgic reflection um, uh, during that kind of post, like postmodern shift following the 80s. Um, and the transition to kind of this reflective period just as, as, it inherently feels wrong. And maybe it's because I've been so ideologically conditioned by this like American bootstrap, like progress narrative that like things have to be driving and forward. And there's, you know, like what's next, how, how are we going to get to the next page? Um, and I feel like there's a bit of a, um, well, that I think that the driving force behind that kind of that, that, that progress, that ideological condition, conditioning, like it, it's not a culture, but it's, it's economy. Um, and, and despite of, and maybe even partially because of the economic, you know, um, uh, that the fact that economic rewards can be reaped from nostalgic culture, capitalism kind of pushes on full steam, just kind of, you know, subsuming and flattening kind of everything in its path. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, okay. So the, 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 the kind of. I'm kind of shooting off in all directions here. Um, but I feel like just to kind of put a, a lid on this thing, um, uh, of everything that I've, that I've read so far, I, I feel like um, Mark Fisher's book, um, uh, Capitalist Realism, kind of provides the most, the best and most kind of succinct theory about this lack of newness in culture. Um and what he means, you know, specifically by term capitalist realism, um, which I think was before him was it was uh, this definition was well, capitalist capitalist realism is his term, but um, 
his definition of that is that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Um, and I think that that specific sentence was uh, originally said by oh, Slavoj Žižek um, or something. Someone I think um, so, yeah. Born, but okay. Um, but anyways, in, in the book, he he kind of he starts off um, with a reference to Children of Men, um, and I like actually I I I read this book and then watched Children of Men. So I, I watched Children of Men pretty late into the game, like a few years ago, and um, I. It's one of my favorites. Probably it's such my a good movie. movie. It's yeah, yeah, incredible movie. Um, but why he brings this, the, the uses this movie as a descriptor is, is because he acknowledges that this movie is kind of unlike most other dystopian films of its time, uh, maybe even to, to you know to this day, and that um, the dystopia of of that film is is that of late capitalism. Um, it's something that is 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 actually you know. It, it, it feels like a real possibility that in 10 years, it's children of men, um, you know, aside from the kind of main plot device. But mm-hmm. um, the, the idea being that the, the apocalyptic future isn't caused by an explosive event, like an outbreak of zombies or a bomb or something. It's, but instead, it's like the kind of slow continuation and intensification of processes that are already underway. Um, so in, in Mark Fisher's words, quote, the world it projects seems more like an extrapolation or exact. Uh, exasperation of ours than an alternative to it. Um, in its world, as in ours, ultra-authoritarianism author- and capital are by no means incompatible. Um, internment camps and, and franchise coffee bars can coexist. Um, so so most people, you know, I'm not going to give anything away about Children of Men, but the, the, the main plot point behind Children of Men is that humans have become infertile and are no longer capable of having children. Uh, and I think this is particularly relevant to nostalgia um, because of Mark's interpretation of the meaning behind that, um, which is that, um, again, in his words, quote, it is evident that the theme of sterility must be read metaphorically as the displacement of another kind of anxiety. I want to argue that this anxiety cries out to be read in cultural terms. Um, the question the film poses is, how long can a culture persist without the new? What happens if the young are no longer capable of producing surprises? Um, and yeah, like I kind of, you know, my feeling is that if this is, if this is true, if there's no new culture being produced, um, or to be, you know, more dramatic and quote, uh, uh, Mario, uh, uh, Leosa, Leosa, Vargas Leosa, he's a Nobel laureate. Um, uh, he says, quote, the culture, culture is dead. Um, and, and what's left is mere entertainment. Um. But if that's true, if the culture kind of is has died, then then it's 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 no wonder that that the mainstream is nostalgic because it it just can't it can't be anything else. There's there's nothing else for it to be but reflective of the past. Um, so I've gone on like I could kind of I could keep going. I've got like more quotes. I've got a Nietzsche quote. Does anyone want to hear a Nietzsche quote? That's kind of cool. Always right. Um, yeah. Uh, this is also from Fisher's book. Fisher quotes Nietzsche. So I'm doing kind of a double quote here, quote within a quote sort of scenario. But uh, Nietzsche wrote that the oversaturation of an age with history leads an age into a dangerous mood of irony in regard to itself, Mm. Um, to a kind of excessive self-awareness, a position as a spectator rather than as something that is engaged and involved. Um, Yeah. So that's a bit bleak. Yeah. I Okay. I, I do have, like, I know I've been kind of going on, but I got one other thing, which is what about the future then? They're like, what, what about the future? What about the future? What's, what's, what is the future? Um, 
are we capable of, of, of imagining a new future? Um, and, you know, uh, I, I guess Fisher would probably argue that this is in part, you know, like we, we, we can't really imagine a future because we don't even have a present. Our, our present is a reiteration of the past in a way. I feel like it's a, you know, a bit, um, uh, I don't know. We're like a, you know, museum piece. Um, but anyways, so th that's, that's a bit lofty and I don't know, but who do we look to for a, vis a vision of the future? Um, according to, you know, Adam Curtis, uh, it, it used to be politicians, but they stopped telling us stories about the future and turned instead to becoming managers of the now. Um, so what about, you know, so-called futurists like themselves, these people who are, are futurists they, that, 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 that they're, they're a bit twisted. Um, uh, they're these a little guys, different. They're, 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 they're a little bit weird. Um, but just, you know, I will, uh, yeah, give it away here that the future, uh, as imagined by futurists looks, looks fucking bleak. Uh, it, it does not look very good folks. Um, we're talking like, okay, so I watched, you know, I've watched just a few, like, you know, seminars given by futurists and there's this, there's one particular guy named Matthew Griffith, who I don't know how popular he is, but in a, in a lecture posted to YouTube, Matthew describes all the newly emerging sci-fi esque technologies that we have to look forward to. Uh, for instance, implanting an array of electrodes in the brain of, of a quadriplegic woman, which was used not for, you know, her own use, but which which enabled her to control a simulation of an F-35 fighter jet. Um, uh, Facebook developing its own currency. Um, we've got DNA computers, downloadable memories. Uh, you know, that's that's the future that we have to look forward to, this kind of neuromancer, like, matrix sh shit, like, like that's the thing that these guys come up with. They're just technocrats. They're they're, they're fetishistic, like tech, like technology people that just kind of imagine like these things which, uh, are like you know, not a future. That that's technology. It's like, it, it's no wonder that we don't have any vision of the future when our futurists are like fucking Elon Musk. Like, what is, mm. what is that? <laughs> you know, who? How is that something to be excited about? You know, that's. It, it, it's not a, a collectivist like thing that you can participate in if it's a fucking rocket being shot to the moon, you know? Like, yeah. what are you going to do with that? Yeah. So it's, that's it. It's uh, not something that we can actively participate in, but more just sort of observe. Yeah. Exactly. Um, We're spectators to it. Yeah. that In that same vein, um, I saw the the greatest uh, mind-melting tweet, just sort of in the zeitgeist. If Afghanistan's infrastructure yeah. was built on Ethereum, it, there would be very little for the Taliban to seize as they roll back into town. The banks would still work. Decisions would be made by <laughs> DAOs uh, that involve the outside world. It wouldn't stop working for even a second. It's yeah. just like these, these just weird, like... <laughs> technocratic it, fixes where they're like well if we just use the blockchain it's like shut up yeah. shut it, up it, it dude would, it will it's gonna work great until it fucking crashes 30 yeah. percent and just everyone fucking you know yeah yeah it's yeah the, the notoriously stable bitcoin market mm -hmm. 
uh, cryptocurrency market. Yeah. Well, it's just funny because the, the idea is like, oh, um, you know, Bitcoin would serve as an alternative to the market economy. But now it's purely like a speculative asset. Like mm. it's it's not it's not an alternative. It just got like merged into the Borg that is capitalism <laughs> and just became like <laughs> yeah. another thing that people are like, oh, yeah, we're going to speculate. We're going to buy low and sell high Bitcoin. Yeah. And that's just what it is. Yeah, it yeah. just got subsumed into capitalism. It's something yeah. that can be used by by stock traders. It could be used by by Facebook. It could be used by anybody. Yeah. It could be just it's just another currency. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. If there is a part two to this discussion, I guess I'm just curious like where like it, yeah, it is like a super heady conversation, and then like, how does where does this land all of us and like driving in the car and and feeling like I uh, you know have like a familiar smell of like and and I miss I miss like that experience from that person like ten years ago. Mm. Yeah, like what you know what? Yeah, there's there's that cognitive side of it, which is mm-hmm. which is what we actually experience when we when we mm-hmm. ha- have when we feel nostalgic and um, it doesn't, it's not all like it, it, it feels very bleak and negative. Um, but there, there is some evidence that to suggest that from a cognitive perspective, that it could have some benefits like in probably, you know, like with everything in small doses, like um, I was watching one video where uh, I don't know if you get, if a guy cited a study or something, but uh where people who had nostalgic experience like felt a bit more confident after that experience or felt a bit more it's like um, comforting is grounded it? yeah yeah it could also i mean it, it i think it really depends like it's like too much of it and it's and you're stuck um mm-hmm. and you know and maybe it makes you sad and not actually yeah. confident or you like um, are desperately trying or, to recapture that feeling which kind of leads to the thing john hodgman was touching on yeah like that toxic nostalgia is it yeah like he says you you'll never be able to recreate that feeling yeah like it at least not intentionally um yeah uh and Bro, I, yeah mars i think often of this one moment it was i don't know i don't even know if you remember it but we mm-hmm. were i don't and i don't know if this is relevant or uh and if it is and we can just move on but you i was visiting you and we were in Sweden. Where were we? We were in oh, yeah. we were in Stockholm. And uh, yeah. We met up with a bunch of couch surfers, just random people mm. at mm-hmm. a bar. And then we went bar hopping yeah. with these people. And there was this one guy who was it was an Australian guy. Okay. And it was like late. It was probably like three in the morning. And you and I mm. were just like talking about what the next thing we were going to do was. And the okay. guy, like, he just like interrupted us and yelled at us. He's like, stop trying to enhance the moment. Um, <laughs> and I just like, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Literally, yeah. I, I think about it a lot since then. It was like, yeah, <laughs> like so much of my life just tra- chasing, like trying to just make what it like just whatever experience i'm having just a little bit better and 
just excruciating yep. suffering like within that you know um mm-hmm. within that process like yeah like the you're missing out on it because you're you're kind of letting the perfect like if i heighten this experience a little bit more it would yeah. be better and so you agonize over that detail it's like uh right. What is it like the the idea? Nobody has fun on New Year's because because you're trying to have the best time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's Javi. I'm glad that you said that because I have remembered the words "stop trying to enhance the experience," and I don't know. I couldn't remember where that came from. Yeah, but I have had that like in my memory that it comes up every now and again. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I do the fuck out of that. Like I'm like. Um, oh, we're going to watch a movie. Well, I got to watch it at around 9 p.m. because that's when I can have a beer. And if I can have the beer, I should grab, uh, I should make sure I watch it on this TV and make sure, like everything has to be kind of perfect to yeah. make the experience. Like, mm. And then I don't really enjoy it. And then I spend two hours looking for a movie to watch and go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think like to a certain extent, like obviously you want to try to establish like ideal conditions, but you don't, you know, like hmm. you don't want to watch a movie on your phone because it's not, yeah. it's not the same experience, but like, yeah, you can't, you can't deprive yourself of, of something hmm. because like, oh, I didn't have the right beer or, or, you know, ah, yeah. my, my friends weren't with me or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like that, that stems from that one time when you watched a movie with your friends having the right beer and it was perfect. Yeah. At least in your memory. Yeah. In I your memory, like you're like, yes, this was, yeah, this was the the good thing. This was a lot, you know, yeah, yeah, this was excellent. You're trying to recreate that experience and that those feeling, and yeah. it's much easier if you just have cocaine. Um, yeah, if you just have cocaine, you can just always feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, from what um, I know, people never feel bad. Oh, yeah. and cocaine? Yeah, no, no, yeah. yeah. I mean. If you stop taking cocaine, but that's the thing with cocaine is you don't stop. You you never stop. board shorts on y- y'all want to hear about the the well the hell maybe this th- this could be like a good <laughs> that would be a good transition into the well maybe the this hell. is the future maybe this is the the future maybe that's all right the yeah, future is that something than that the future is is hell hell yeah um so i'm, I'm gonna preface this with with two things um the well the hell hoax or the siberian hell sounds uh, Siberian Hell Sounds is also a uh, a metal band out of Brisbane. Uh, I found that out. No fucking uh, way. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty. That's they're pretty, pretty cool. all right. Uh, all right. Siberian yeah, Hell worth, Sounds. Type worth that checking out. I would do Bandcamp. Um, okay. They they do like eight minute long songs. Oh uh, yeah. Um. Cool. So the the Well to Hell or Siberian um, Siberian Hell Sounds was an urban legend. Um, that propagated in the uh, around uh, 1989 or 1990 
uh, about a borehole in Russia that is purportedly drilled so deep that it broke through into hell. Um, mm. And so the the legend itself holds that a, uh, a team of Soviet engineers led by a Mr. Uh, Azovkov um, were in an undisclosed location in Siberia, Russia, and drilled a 14.4 kilometer or uh, 8.9 mile deep hole into the mantle of the earth uh, before breaking through into a cavity. Uh, intrigued by this unexpected uh, discovery, they lowered an extremely heat tolerant microphone along with other sensory equipment into the well um, and captured temperatures above 1000 degrees Celsius uh, or over 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and the chamber was filled with fire and purportedly the tormented screams of the damned. Fuck. Um, to, you got to close that thing up, man. Yeah. To, to uh, read from the report, a geological team has uh, drilled a hole 14.4 kilometers into the crust of the earth are saying that they heard human screams, screams that have been heard from the condemned souls from earth's deepest hole. Terrified scientists are afraid that they have let loose the evil powers of hell upon Earth's surface. Information I'm that we have gathered. Regularly afraid of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Is, Mars, as a scientist, is this something that you yeah. you worry about looking at bug brains? Look, ants are the uh, wormhole to hell. Yeah. Let me tell you. But not worms. Mm, no. No. Okay. Worms are shaped like a wormhole, but they're mm -hmm. not. Um, they're pretty neutral as far as insects go. They're yeah. not, well, and partially because they're not insects. They're neutral um, animals, um, but ants They're not really chaotic the, evil? They're not chaotic evil. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. True yeah. neutral worms. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, the information that we found is so surprising that we're sincerely afraid that we might find something down there, stated Dr. Uh, Azikov, the manager of the project in remote Siberia. The report continues that the second surprise was the high temperatures that they discovered in the Earth's center. Calculations indicate that the temperature was above 1,100 degrees Celsius or over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, as Akov pointed out. This is far more than we expected, and it seems almost likely that an inferno of fire is brutally going on at the center of the Earth. The latest discovery was nonetheless the most shocking to our ears, so much so that scientists are afraid to continue the project. We tried to listen to the Earth's movement at certain intervals with super-sensitive microphones, which we let down through the hole. What we heard turned out uh, turned those logically thinking scientists into trembling ruins. It was sometimes weak, but high-pitched sounds uh, that we thought were coming from our own equipment, explained Azikov. But uh, after some adjustments, we could comprehend, and indeed, the sound came from the Earth's interior. We could hardly believe our ears. We heard human voices screaming in pain. Even though one voice was discernible, we could hear thousands, perhaps millions underground of suffering souls screaming. After the gnashing discovery, about half of the scientists quit out of fear. Hopefully that which is down there will stay here as a coffee. Is that well, two questions. What, what year was this? This was, so it's an urban legend that, that emerged. Um, it was first, uh, attested in 1989 um, by by an uh, English language outlet. 
Um, okay. And I'm, I'm going to get into that a little bit. So in, okay. um, in 1989, um, the American uh, Christian Trinity Broadcasting Network uh, made a broadcast <laughs> about this claiming uh, proof of the literal existence of hell, citing mm-hmm. this urban legend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they, they published that report um, and, and claimed it to be definitive proof that hell exists. And, um, and what ended up happening was a, and I'm going to fuck up this name, but, um, I believe it's Augie, uh, 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 a Norwegian teacher heard the story, um, on the, uh, Trinity broadcasting network, uh, while visiting the United States and thought, man, Americans are dumb and gullible. And, uh, and so he returned back to Norway and he wrote a letter to the Trinity broadcast corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it reads as follow. I must confess. I laughed when I heard your account. I did not believe a single word of it and, uh, committed to my friends that Americans sure were gullible to believe that hell could physically be located in a hole in the ground. I can't even begin to tell you what shock, uh, I was in when I returned to Norway and found a newspaper full of reports about the incident. I knew immediately that if there was hell, I would surely end up in it. A tremendous fear took over me. And after two nights, I dreamt about fire and screams and I surrendered to God and committed my life to the hands of safekeeping. What? So he writes this letter along with a a report. Um, so, so he he found a Norwegian newspaper, um, yeah. and and he sent this newspaper clipping about a, a bu- about a building inspector, just an innocuous newspaper clipping about nothing. Okay, and sent it and said, "I translated this story for you." And so he made up a translation that reads, uh, "What really unnerved the Soviets, apart from the voice recording, was the appearance that's uh, the the same night at the Fountainhead." of luminous gas shooting up from the drill site that out of the mist came an incandescent cloud pillar, a brilliant being with bat wings revealed itself and in oh. Russian spoke, I am, or I have conquered embrazen, emblazoned across the dark Siberian sky. The incident was absolutely unreal. The Soviets cried out in terror. Um, later that night, he saw ambulance crews circulating in the community. A driver he knew told him that they had to sedate everybody with medication known to erase short-term memory. The Soviets used this drug in the treatment of shock. So he he basically was like, he he furthered the lie, and and the the Trinity Broadcast Network published this information saying that they had confirmation. And all he did was just he made up a story and then put it uh, submitted an article <laughs> in a language that they couldn't read, and they passed it off as as true. Um, folks, 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 we've got demons coming up in communist Russia. We got the we got the documents. We got the documents here. Uh, this is published in a Norwegian uh, uh, Norwegian Times. This is official. This is a real publication. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. So 
Yeah, he wrote to the network originally claiming that he disbelieved the tale, but upon returning to Norway, supposedly read a factual accounts of the story, um, including the embellishment of uh, a winged beast rising out of the ground to perpetuate the hoax. Rendelin deliberately mistranslated a trivial Norwegian article about a local building inspector into the story and submitted it with both the original Norwegian article and the English translation. Um, He also included his real name, phone number, and address, as well as that of a pastor friend who knew about the hoax and had agreed to expose it to anyone who was seeking verification. However, the... uh, Trinity Broadcast Network did nothing to verify the claims and aired the story as proof and validity of the original story. Um, And so that Mm. happened in, I believe it was 1989. And then they got called out for it in 1990. Yeah. Nick, can I stop you for a second? So I'm I'm, I'm just trying to clarify which parts of this are the myth and Mm -hmm. what what was real? I'm assuming that the, the hole itself was real, that there were these scientists that published the report about this hole. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're going to get to this. Maybe I'm I'm jumping ahead. Okay, so, all right, okay. Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. But the myth, the, the obvious myth was the the this Norwegian guy uh, writing this 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 puffed up piece and then the Trinity Network just yeah, so taking the, it full steam. There is some the, truth okay. to um, Ru- Russia, the... It, the Soviets were drilling a hole, um, actually surprisingly near the um, the Russian border. Uh, oh, sorry, the Russian border with uh, Norway, um, and I think they they drilled something like like seven miles into the earth, and it was strictly for geological purposes, and they didn't find anything. It, they were just like, oh, this is like a mm. You know, maybe it was geograph geologically interesting, but it didn't it it, it didn't mm. like open up a portal to hell or anything, and it wasn't in Siberia. So somebody just sort of took that information and then said know? they heard yeah. voices, and then um, yeah, people started publishing that th- this portal to hell was found, and this uh, this Norwegian guy was like, "It's true, I heard it," and then um, <laughs> just pass that story off have you have you seen the video um where the, it's i think it's like a fake i don't know if it, I, it's been a long time since i watched it but i think it's like a fake sort of documentary youtube type clip where they show people out there near the hole the and audio play the sounds yeah. of the hole the audio and it it's like people screaming in yeah pain. so um uh yeah, American tabloids ran with the story. I think I have to. And the sound files began to appear on various websites oh, across we the internet. Sensationalistic retellings of the story can be found on YouTube, usually featuring um, audio soundtrack from a 1972 movie, Barren Blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So somebody was able to trace it back. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the Soviets had, in fact, drilled a hole um, that was more than 12 kilometers deep along the Kola Super Deep Borehole, located not in Siberia, but on the Kola Peninsula. 
which shares a border with uh, Norway and Finland. Yeah. Some interle- mm. some interesting so, geological anomalies were yeah. found, although uh, they reported no supernatural encounters. Um, they uh, uh, they 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 you know they they, they drill the hole, they stick the camera down there, and um, it turns out it's just the DMV. <laughs> oh man, got him. What's the DMV? Right. That's it, folks. That's, that's it. The, uh, oh, oh, the Department DMV. of Motor Vehicles. Nah. Oh, not Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> oh, that would have worked too. Yeah. Damn. I, All right. Well, that's. I, I think either of those are, yeah. are my personal hell. There probably are DMVs in the world where they are playing David Matthews Band quietly. I'm wondering if we. Yeah. If, Just if crash we listen into to that like, yeah. uh, recording. If you uh, mess with the audio files, what if you yeah, played if you it, played in, it in, in reverse, or like if you just yeah. like heighten the the sound, like would it just be like the Wilhelm scream? Kind of, like <laughs> it just be like Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Morrissey <laughs> just whining and then saying something, um, <laughs> saying something like yeah. weird and far right, and you're like. This doesn't yeah. make any sense. He's got like meat is murder, but also yeah, you know, meat is murder, uh, but we shouldn't have any immigrants. <laughs> have any immigrants? Yeah, yeah. 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 Nick, uh, do you do you have more to the, to, to the no, story? No, we can we, we can cut it there. Uh, all right. Well, hold on. Let's do an official let, bye, goodbye, goodbye, and then let's talk after we say goodbye. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, okay. All right. Bye. bye.